Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. And these are questions I ask myself when I question myself. Table fam, how are we feeling tonight? Come on. Hey, if I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Isaac. I'm the young adult pastor here at First Orlando, pastor and part of the leadership team here at the table. And right now in this moment, uh, moment I want to, um, first of all, welcome you. Man, if it's your first time or first time in a long time, we're just so glad that you're here hanging out with us on a Tuesday night here at the table. And for some of us, we've been here for a while. Um, but I want to experiment with something and it may be a little weird. And if you're an introvert, you're absolutely going to hate this. Um, if you can, um, just kind of turn to your neighbor and, uh, and find, find a partner. And if you don't have a partner, just find, um, just kind of hijack just another group of partners. Just kind of find two or three people together. Um, and I want you to introduce yourself, and I want you to ask, when was the last time that you were around a large group of people? The table doesn't count. But when was the last time you were around a large group of people, whether it be a concert, a sporting event, a movie, whatever you go, just go around, make some new friends, and I'll come back here in just one second. But feel free to go find a partner and, and chat. All right, just a few more seconds, a few more seconds here. All right, well, hopefully you got to make some new friends and just it was cool and it was a cool experience for you. Um, but let me tell you about an experience that I had when I was around a large group of people, right? But I'm going to ask the question, but in a slightly different way. Um, have you ever been around a large group of people where you were jockeying for position to get the best spot, right? So for me, some of you know I love Disney. And I remember I was at a Disney some years ago, and um, it was just whenever Slinky Dog Dash opened. Has anybody written Slinky Dog Dash? It's an incredible coaster, highly recommended, Hollywood Studios, so you can ride a lot more rides there when you're there. So I was there, and I remember I was there for Rope Drop. And if, you're, if you don't know what Rope Drop is, Rope Drop is essentially um, whenever the, the cast members that are there finally let the people that are kind of like, it's almost like the Kentucky Derby, where you're just kind of like, we're about to like, just like take off to like start like get, get in our position so we can get to the, the queue line or to the line of the roller coaster more quickly than everyone else, and we don't have a long wait. So I remember it was very very early in the morning, and we're there, ready to, to get position, and sure enough, we could go through, and the whole group is off. And the way that they kind of navigated us through the park um, was the, kind of the, this large mass of people um, ends up funneling to like a very narrow kind of turn. So I remember I was there, and it's me, and then I'm kind of like, all the strollers, psh, I was like crushing them, right? Like, this, like these parents with their strollers, we're having such a good time at Disney, and I'm like, you are not doing it right. Like, you gotta like, we're doing this thing. So I'm on my way, and then I see this corner where like, I have to get there quickly, because if I don't get there quickly, I'm gonna have to wait in a very long line. Um, so I see this like 12-year-old kid, 
backwards hat. And there's like the stroller, right? So what do I do? So I'm like, okay, so we're both like know what's going on. Like we know he knows what's up. I know what's up. So we go. So then I just push him down to the ground to get, I didn't actually do that. But you can experience what it's like is for me, I want to have the best experience possible. I want good things to happen to me. And I'm willing to do, to some extent, do whatever it takes to have the best experience possible. I like good things happening to me, right? So what do I mean by that? Here's, um, here's a bucket. You guys see the bucket? Bucket of self. So this is me. I'm this green bucket. And in this bucket of self, here I am jockeying for position. Here I am. It's not just at Disney. Here I am just living my life. And I want, let's imagine this is a good thing. Imagine this is a good experience. This is a good thing. This ball right here. And here's what I want. I want good things to fall in my bucket. Right? So here I am. Okay, so here we go. So that's a, you know, a short queue line at Disney. There we go. But also, man, um, I mean, I would really like that job. I would really like it if they hired me. Yes, amazing, right? Okay, what about, um, man, I would really like just, um, do you like money? Does anybody like money? Just me? Do you like money? Money's okay, right? Money's, money's helpful. Okay, here we go. Money. Ah, oh, yes, that feels good, right? Payday, Friday, right? Right? Um, so, uh, but here's what we know. Here's what I know is that I spend all my energy trying to get good things to happen to me. And whenever I don't get good things, are you ready? Let's say this is a, 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 a short line at the grocery store. Let's say that the, the cashier, the line that I was in, let's say that they closed the register down and have to get another line. The good thing didn't happen. Whenever the good thing doesn't happen to me, I get miserable. And I get really frustrated. Why? Because I expect good things to happen to me. And whenever I don't get good things, I'm miserable. But it's not only that. I have my very good friend give a shout out for a Brent Nelson. What about, we know that we're not the only people that live in this world. You know this and I know this. What about our friends? Okay. Is that Kim Possible? <laughs> Call me B. Okay. So, friends, so let's say that there's a good thing that happens, that's falling, this good thing, this good experience, this positive thing that we want, and let's say that it falls in our friend bucket. Well, if we already have it, we don't care, right? And we're, we're excited and we're happy for our friends. We want our friends to experience good things. But what about if the good thing is falling, and it goes into our friend's bucket, but not in our bucket. We're scrolling on social media, right? And we see people just living amazing lives. I remember like when I was there, like um, when I was uh, kind of in the, the real estate market and I saw like other people were getting houses before I was able to get a house. I remember I would just see that and I was like, I'm so happy for them. I'm so glad that they got a 3-2, uh, you know, in a great part of town that has gonna, gonna have good resale value. Oh, I'm so happy right? But we, we have mixed feelings with our friends. But ultimately, we're like, okay, like, uh, I need to check myself, and I want my friends to experience good things. I know this, right? But still, it's, it's a struggle, is it not? But what about this? Thank you, Brits. What about our enemies? Ooh, ooh. Do we want our enemies to experience anything good at all? No, they don't deserve it. You know who deserves it? We do. You know who kind of deserves it, slightly less than us, but still kind of deserves it? 
are friends. You know who absolutely does not deserve it? Our enemies. They're wrong, they're bad, they're evil, they do not deserve anything, right? And we want good friends, and all of us have experienced this, right? All of us experienced job stuff, promotions, um, all of us have experienced uh, money, all of us have experienced material things, all of us have experienced cars, all of us have experienced just experiences, right? We see our friends just traveling all the time, and we're like, ah, like I want that travel experience. They got, they got an upgrade on a cruise? <sighs> I wanted an upgrade on a cruise. I didn't get an update on a cruise. My friend got an update on a cruise, right? Or whenever we do, right, get an update on a cruise, we're like, oh, yes, that's incredible. That's amazing. I want good things to happen to me. But what about y'all relationships? Ooh. (laughs) Why did I have to bring it up? Relationships, right? Where do we want relationships to fall, right? Is it option number A? Is it bucket number B? Is it bucket number C? Do we want it to fall on ourselves to get to experience this romantic relationship? Do you want our friends to experience romantic relationships? Do you want our enemies to experience romantic relationships? Right? Where do we want? So here's the question. Where do we want good things to go? Where do we want good things to go, right? As good things are happening all around us, I know we live in an evil world that's broken and bad things happen all around us. Yes, I'm aware. But it's also true that good things happen right? So where do we want good things to go, right? And I would imagine for most of us, we want it to happen to self. Because, and we've been in the series of Jonah, Jonah wanted good things to happen to himself. Jonah only wanted good things to happen to himself. So we pick it up in Jonah chapter 4. If you've been tracking along, you can check it out on the podcast. But basically, here's what just happened, is that God commanded Jonah to go to the city. And then as Jonah went to the city and he preached, revival breaks out and everyone turns to God. And here's how Jonah responded with everybody turning to God. Here's how Jonah responded. Verse 1, where it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. It, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Why? Jonah was angry because a good thing happened to his enemy. And he's like, ah, and here's was his response, was that he was really angry that a good thing happened to his enemy. Because you know what the term is whenever we only want good things to happen to ourselves? There's actually a psychological term. Do you guys know what this term is? Narcissism. Narcissism, yes, entitlement. Entitlement. See, entitlement is believing you deserve good things for yourself. Believing you deserve good things for yourself. And here's typically the language that we use whenever we're experiencing entitlement. We use the word, are you guys ready for this? You you have never said this before, but your friend has, right? And your enemy definitely has, but you would never say this. You would never say this language. I deserve. I deserve the relationship. I deserve the job, the promotion, the good experience, right? I, do, you know, do you know what I have done? Do you know how special I am, right? I was hearing the story, too, um, where like, there, was, there was this guy that had applied for a job and didn't get it. So then his parents call HR, and the parents are like, do you know how special our baby is, right? Why? What is this? It's entitlement. It's like, hey, I deserve for this good thing to happen to me, right? I was at uh, Target. Uh, so typically whenever I leave, when I leave, I work here at First Orlando. Whenever I leave campus, uh, my wife's I'm at home. She's wrapping up her maternity leave, so she's at home. And every day I call her, and I'm like, hey, Lauren. She's like, hey. Um, uh, and she's, I ask her, hey, do you need anything? And she says, nine times out of ten, yes, can you do a Target pickup order, right? Nine times out of ten. 
So I'm like, okay, yes, absolutely, right? So I go to Target. I was there just the other day, and then Target pick up order. If you've ever been to the Soto one, like South Soto one, it's all like on the second floor. You can go up there, and if you order it, then you get in the line. So I was there, and I was the first car. And then after I got there, three other cars come in. And then they bring out the stuff, because you have to wait for a little bit for them to bring the stuff to your car. So then they bring out the stuff, and you know who they served first? The audacity. They served everyone else. I was the last person. And I was like, I don't deserve this. I got here first. I did everything right. I told them I was coming. It's like, are you on your way? Yes, I'm on my way. Are you getting close? Yes, I'm getting close. I was the first one there. I put in the number, right? And they served everyone else before me, right? Entitlement is believing you deserve good things for yourself. And this is our good friend, Jonah, right? So then we get to verse 2 where he says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, are you guys nervous because I'm trying, about to trip over this bag? Yes, that's, uh, yeah, okay, let me move. Is that better? Is that good? We don't, thank you, thank you, okay, okay. So verse 2, where it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Here's, it's so interesting what Jonah says here, where he says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The reason Jonah was angry is because Jonah knew He knew, before he went, he knew that God was going to give a good thing to his enemy. Because see, what what Jonah, the heart of Jonah, Jonah's heart is entitlement, where he only wants good things for himself. He deserves good things for himself. But here's the heart of God. See, and he says here, For I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So here's the heart of God, though. The heart of God is not a God of entitlement. See, God is a God of compassion. See, and what God does is God, as a compassionate God, he's compassionate to everybody. See, God just freely gives. So here's compassion. Compassion is wanting and freely giving good things for others, right? And this word compassion uh, means, have you ever guys, ever guys have like had bad Taco Bell? You know, like with bad Taco Bell, you know this, the rice and beans, it's real good in the moment but it hits you a little later. And see, and what happens when it hits you a little later? You start getting a little rumblies. It just starts rumbling a little bit. You start feeling it a little bit. And you know what? Literally, that's what the word compassion means. The, the word compassion literally means a movement in your bowels. The word compassion means deep down in here. It's like this, ugh. It's literally to be moved in your bowels, and that's what it means to have compassion, right? It's that, man, like whenever you have bad Taco Bell and it creates movement. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't, no shame here. That's what compassion does. See, compassion, it's like this rumbling, like you see something. I was watching, uh, um, I don't want to give any spoilers. I, um, what's the show that just came out? Um, Star Wars, no, Stranger Things, Star Wars. Uh, Obi-Wan, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I was just watching it, right? Episode one, two, no spoilers. But here's something that's said in the show, um, is that for Jedi, and if you're in Star Wars, you know this, Jedis can't help but helping others. See, Jedis are compassionate. Jedis are moved in their bowels with compassion to go and to help people. So here we have compare and contrast of Jonah, who's who's experiencing entitlement, and God, who's a God of compassion, right? So entitlement. See, entitlement is um, whenever we have the heart of man in our flesh, and compassion is when we have the heart of God. 
See, entitlement is whenever we only want good things to come to us. Entitlement is like, I don't care about you. I only want good things to happen to me. See, but compassion is whenever we can be others-focused. See, entitlement is whenever we only focus on the words of God. See, Jonah, Jonah had actually had pretty good theology. Jonah had a lot of knowledge of Scripture, right? He's like, man, God, I, he's quoting Exodus. Where he's quoting, I know, God, you're a God that's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, right? Jonah knows a lot of Bible. He knows a lot of Scripture. Jonah knows the words of God, and yet he is entitled because it's not about the words of God. It's also knowing those words, and it's about the works of God and doing something with those words, to focus also on the works of God. So you want to grow? It's not necessarily learning more, although that's helpful. Here's how you grow. You can listen to the message last week, as well as here's how we grow. We grow in our compassion for others. The movement in our bowels for others increases, and we can't help but move to do something with it, right? So here's how Jonah responds, though, because Jonah's not compassionate. In verse 3, he says, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's pretty dramatic, isn't he? <laughs> Some of you feel that, right? You're like, oh, man, it's better for me to die than to live. Like, okay, chill, chill, buddy. Um, right, so is Jonah right here, is Jonah operating out of entitlement or compassion? Entitlement, right, because he only wants good things to happen to him, he does not want others to experience good things, right? And here's what the Lord said in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Because here's, here's an idea. Entitlement leads to misery. Entitlement leads to misery, right? We keep using this language of like, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And we only want uh, good things to fall in our bucket, right? And we will orchestrate. We're like, ah, when we start jockeying for position. So like we catch all of the good things as the good things are falling, right? And I deserve it, right? Because I earned it. Why? Because I'm special, right? I'm a millennial. Half, the room, half of us are millennials, right? Over the 25 and older, Right? Our entire life. I was in a classroom for Gen Z, so I don't know exactly what's being shared in your classrooms. But here, me, my entire life, you're special. You can get whatever you want. Shoot for the stars, right? Here's your trophy. You've earned it. You deserve it, right? It's entitlement, right? And this is like bread into our culture, and it's also bread into us. So we, the myth is using language of I deserve, I've earned it, I'm special, right? And here's the truth. So we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything, right? Think about it. Like, think about even, like, um, our life. Who put us here? We didn't put ourselves here. God put ourselves here. So we can't, there's, we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve money. We don't deserve job. We don't deserve good things happening to us. Um, actually, because of our sin, we actually deserve bad things happen to us bad things to happen to us. We actually deserve not the grace of God. We deserve the wrath of God because of our sin, because of our brokenness. Fortunately, Jesus comes in and he heals us and he redeems us and we can plead. We can just be so grateful for Jesus' healing in our life and the redemption that he has that we can call Jesus Lord and Savior. And yes, we have right standing before him for those of us that put our faith and our trust in him. But we need to, we need to recognize that we still don't deserve it. We, we don't deserve to be saved. God in his compassion moves because in his bowels, God has moved for us. So God saves us, God rescues us, God redeems us, right? And because of that, we have to recognize that we can just get to be so grateful for God and still recognize the truth that we don't deserve any good 
thing, right? And this became so real for me as I was uh, growing up and also as I was in college because I wanted nothing more growing up. Um, I grew up like in a, uh, like a uh, charismatic Latino, some of you know this, uh, or some of you also experienced this, like charismatic Latino like household that was kind of like um, strict in a sense, um, where the entire time, right, I'm being told, right, you should be married, you should be married, you should be married, you should be married, you should be married. And I'm like, like uh, four, and they're like, why aren't you married yet? I'm like, can you all just wait a second? Can you just give me a second, right? Can you let me get to kindergarten, please? So I get to college, and I just, like, feel this pressure from growing up, and I, as well as it's something that I wanted just to be in a romantic relationship. So what do I do? I just start orchestrating all of my life and living my life in a way that I deserve, that I've earned a romantic relationship, right? So, so in high school and in college, like, I was careful. Like, I kept myself pure. Like, I see some of the girls who are like, hey, and I'm like, no, you're bad, right? And I'm, like, sipping way over here, right? Um, and see, and I did all of the right things to earn an amazing relationship. And here's what I thought. True story. I thought, man. I'm awesome. Man, like, I'm, like, a girl is going to be so lucky to have me, right? It's true. It's what I thought. And uh, so after a few years of that, um, I go, you know, I moved to, I'm from Texas. Um, I haven't said that in a few weeks. I'm, y'all know I'm from Texas? Okay, we're aware. We're aware from Texas. Okay, good. I want for our new friends to know I'm a very proud Texan. Okay, so I grew up in the Houston area, went to school in Waco. I moved to Dallas, and whenever I was living in Dallas, um, you know, I actually started getting into more like serious romantic relationships. Like they started bubbling up, and I was like hopeful. I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna work. Like I've earned it. All right, I've I've paid my due. I've earned it. I kept myself pure. I did all of the right things. Okay, God. It's time to pay up. I'm ready for my amazing romantic relationship. I've done my part, God. Now it's time to do yours. So I, so I do that. And then I realize, though, that after getting to experience some of the romantic relationships in Dallas, it's not at all what I envisioned. And, you know, this, these, these relationships that at first I thought were awesome were actually not awesome at all and didn't work out. And my heart got really hard toward God. And I didn't understand it. And I'm like, God, I did everything right. Like I, you know, I, I prayed, read my Bible, I went to church, right? You know, I did everything right romantically that I needed to do to earn an amazing relationship. And now I don't have an amazing relationship. So what's going on, God? And my heart got hard because why? I was entitled. I thought I deserved a relationship, right? And because I was entitled, entitlement leads to misery. To misery. I was so, for a good, like, season of my life, like in my mid-20s, I was so miserable. Uh, but I was also, like, kind of an idiot, right? Because even as, like, as I'm talking about it, you're like, bro, like, you put way too much stock in that, dude. <laughs> like, chill, chill, man. Just go through the process. So I, I was an idiot, but I was a teachable idiot. See, and, what, and by teachable, I mean God used that season. God used my entitlement heart to take me to a season that kind of broke me and took me to a place to where God's like, okay, are we breaking you of your entitlement? I'm like, oh, yes, God. He's like, okay, good. I love you. All right, I want to I help work through and redeem your entitlement, right? And I want to I do something new, right? See, what you're holding on to, that's old stuff. We need to, we need to put down the old stuff. We're going to do a new thing. And in this new thing, you got to be teachable to what I want to do in your life. So through that season, God revealed to me how much I lacked compassion for others. And now, I mean, spoiler alert, so I'm married, we have an eight-week-old at home, right? But had I, a true story, like had I not experienced that season in my mid-20s, there is no way I would be nearly the, as, as compassionate as I am. And I'm not, like, I'm not even, I, something that I'm really working on, um, uh, I asked a friend a few years ago, hey, am I a compassionate person? Um, and they were like, not really. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, 
Okay, but trying to, for me to learn, to be teachable, to learn how to be, how to be compassionate, right? And through then, through the process years later, and um, Lauren just being absolutely incredible and like absolutely love it. And I'm so grateful that God was able to journey with me through my entitlement to teach me how to be compassionate for others, right? And, I, and I'm still learning, and I'm still learning. And so let's see if Jonah learned anything. Verse 5, where he says, Jonah went out of the city and sat there to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it at the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So basically, so Noah goes up on this hill, and he's just still waiting for the destruction of Nineveh. Right? So God redeemed the city. God saved it. Jonah's angry. He goes up on a hill, and he's like, okay, that's day one. They still got 39 more days, buddy. Right? Let's see, let's see if God destroys the city um, of Nineveh. Um, so verse 6. So now the Lord appointed a plant. And made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So as he's waiting, right, as he's waiting for the destruction of Nineveh, right, Jonah is incredibly entitled. But God, remember, God's a God of compassion. So as Jonah is there in the sweltering heat, God's a God of compassion. So God causes a plant to grow to give shade from Jonah over the Middle Eastern sun. It's a very compassionate God, right? So Jonah operates out of entitlement, operates out of compassion. And now as this plant is there over Jonah, Jonah shows compassion for the plants. He doesn't show compassion for the Ninevites. He doesn't show compassion for people. Jonah has compassion on the plant, the thing, right? Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah, again, incredibly dramatic, right? So God here is using this plant. And God, like me, with jo- like he did with me and like he did with Jonah, God is using his compassion. Even though Jonah does not deserve it, God is giving Jonah good things to try to teach him how to be compassionate for others. But Jonah doesn't get the lesson. Jonah doesn't get it, right? So God is like, okay, well, here's the plant. Jonah's still not getting it. Okay, now let me take the plant away because God gives and God takes away. Why? Because he's God and he can do that. So God took the plant away. And now verse 9 where he says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die, All right? So he's bas- God's basically saying, all right, I've asked, hey, do you do well to be angry? Yes, him again. Do you do well to be angry? And then there comes a time, you have this friend, right, where they, like, they're really good at, like, asking you questions. Like, they'll ask you questions and ask you questions. And eventually they get to a place where, like, all right, like, I love you. you got to shut up and listen now, right? And you've done this for your friends as well, where they just start, like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, hey, let's, listen, let me just, can I just speak truth into your life? So here is God speaking truth into the life of Jonah, where he says this in verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, much cattle? So God's basically saying, hey, Jonah, uh, you have compassion on a plant, right? Okay, is it possible that I can have compassion on a city of people that I created? See, you're having compassion on this thing that you didn't even labor for. You didn't create. I created these people. I love them. They're made in my image, right? Also, they're animals. I love their animals, right? And I'm going to have compassion on their animals as well. See, and Jonah is experiencing entitlement, doesn't want good things for others. 
God's a God of compassion that gives freely to everyone. And so here's the big idea. Compassion is action. Compassion is action. See, compassion is wanting and freely giving good things for others, right? So you remember, you remember our buckets, right? Remember our buckets, right? So entitlement, right, is like we just only want good things to happen for ourselves, but whenever we have compassion, here's what we do. The good things that we have, it's action. There's a movement in our bowels. There's a movement of compassion to want to use what we have, the resources that we have, in order to serve and love others. And as we're doing that, we don't need to stress about, wait a second, but where are, where are the rest of my good things? Look, God's a God of compassion. So here's our job. Our job is not to worry about ourselves. Our job is to figure out what's in our bucket What resources do we have in order to be compassionate to others, right? Because as we're compassionate to others, God will continue to be compassionate to us. So here's this flow, right, where our bucket is filled, right? And as our bucket is filled, we use it compassionately to love and to serve others. So we just focus on others, and God's going to keep giving us good things. And Jesus says this as well, where Jesus says in Luke, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he also says, some of you know this, he also says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So what does he mean by loving his neighbor? He's saying, look, have compassion on others. It's implied, loving your neighbor as yourself, it's implied that we're going to love ourselves. It's implied that we're going to have compassion. It's implied that we're going to experience good things, right? So if we only focus on ourselves, we will never have compassion for others. But if we can turn our energy and focus into having compassion on others, now, now, this is where we can experience really good things and experience joy. We're not misery. We get to experience joy. So as we land the plane here, here are four resources as we're thinking through our lives. Here's four resources of compassion for others. Here's how we can have compassion for others. I'm going to list four resources. Um, Because the myth right now is that as we think through resources, the myth right now is that we think, hey, look, Isaac, bro, I'm in my 20s. I'm a teenager. I'm in my 20s, right? Like, I, um, I don't have a lot of resources right now. I don't have a lot of things to give. I have not really experienced a lot of good things in life. So you know what I'm going to do? I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. God, I'll make you a deal. How about this? How about you give me a lot of things, and then I down the road, once my bucket is completely filled with good things, then, when I'm later down the road, then I will give and serve others. But it's a myth. And the truth is, if we don't start practicing compassion now, we will never be people that are compassionate. If we just wait till later, we will never do it. If we start now, we'll do it for a lifetime. So that's why I want to help us think through four resources that we can use now, that you have now to some extent, to be able to love and to serve others and be compassionate to others. You guys tracking with me? Yes? Yeah? Okay, let's go. Okay, number one, right? As I think through resources, right, many of us automatically think financial. And that's the one where we're like, nope, <laughs> not it, nope. Uh, bro, do you, do you see what I have? Right, uh, nothing, like, you know, pull out our pockets and it's like cobwebs, right? It's like a cartoon. You're right, some of us don't have hardly any financial resources, but we have some, right? And it's one of the four, so we can get to the others in a second, right? But some of us do have financial resources. Some of us aren't struggling at all. Some of us are pretty, pretty okay financially. 
So the question is, how can we use our finances to be compassionate to others, to give to others what they don't deserve freely from our hearts and with our actions, right? Number one is financial. Here's number two. Number two is intellectual, right? See, some of us, we're incredibly brilliant. Some of us have such sharp minds. And intellectually, we have creativity. Intellectually, we have ideas. Intellectually, we have knowledge. We, our minds are just wired, right? We're just smart. We can absorb information. We can just know how information works. Like, we just have really, we're just, we're just smart. We're smart people. And some of you are brilliant. So how can you use your smarts, your wits, your brilliance, your creativity, your ideas, your knowledge, right? Maybe you, you have a, like a, a skill, right? Maybe a creative skill. And you're like, man, you know what? Like I've, I don't know if I want to use that creative skill like as my job. Man, I would love to use that creative skill every once in a while um, when it, when I, when I'm, as I'm able to be able to, to have compassion on others, just to serve people, just give people things that they don't deserve, right? Um, uh, there's uh, two people in here that I'm going to shout out. Uh, shout out uh, Joshua Celestin and Julio Galvao. Like both of them serve here at First Orlando, like on our creative part of our communications team. And they've like single-handedly named like four out of the last six like sermon series names. Uh, and they're just incredibly just brilliant. And they're not a part of our young adult team, but they just like serve us freely. They give compassionate freely just to be able to help us kind of think through um, creatively um, as well, right? And number three, number three is uh, physical. See, physical, son, this is the one that when you're young, you have a lot, and as you get older, you don't quite have as much. <laughs> so I'm uh, 32 now, and I'm telling you, man, when you start waking up, you're like, my knee just hurts. Why? I don't know. I woke up. Like, I don't know. My ankle just hurts. My, and if you're, if you're 25, that's when you start feeling it, right? If you're 24, wait until you turn 25, and then you'll start feeling it. Okay. And if you're in college, Ride the wave for a little while. Ride that wave. Okay, physical. This is our time and this is our energy, right? See, for those of us, it's almost like um, financial and physical are almost like seesaws. Because <laughs> it seems like the more, the more finances we have, the less physical time and energy we have. But the less finances we have, we probably have a lot of time and energy for the most part, right? So how can we use, so perhaps we're low financially, okay, well, how can we leverage our physical, how can we leverage our time and our energy, right? Maybe you just like look to the left and look to the right, and you know what you see? Some muscles. And you know what you hear? You hear people that need, moving heavy that need help moving heavy things. So you're like, man, uh, I'll show up, and they're like, I'll bring pizza, and you're like, cool, I don't need pizza, but I just want to help you because I want to just freely give of the energy and the time that I have in order to help you move, to pick you up from the airport, you know, just using our time and using our energy to, to serve others with compassion. And here's the last one. Here's the one I want to land the plane on. Um, number four is relational. Um, relational is uh, family and friends right, our relational resources, right? So here are four um, resources of compassion, here, number four. And really, I think the most important one is relational. Because I consider us, and you to some extent probably consider us, uh, friends and a spiritual family, right? See, and all of us have a relational resource to give to others. See, and all of us also have the capacity to grow more in our relational resource to give to others, Right? See, all of us, to some extent, we are, a, um, we are members of a body, and as a member of a body, uh, we can connect with other members of the body with our, with our spiritual family here. Right? So perhaps you think, I'm, I don't, I'm awkward, like I'm introverted, like I just don't know. Or perhaps you're incredibly extroverted, and you're like, people can't handle me. Right? Whatever, whatever we may be relationally, I think everyone right now, exactly as you are, has the capacity 
to give relationally with compassion to others. I also believe that everyone has the capacity to continue to grow in their relationality. Does, guys make, does this make sense? Relationally, you can give what you have right now, as well as you continue to grow relationally. So here, we're going to have a, a family moment here where I just kind of want to share um, just a little bit just around my heart, um, our team's heart around kind of how we're really thinking through this relational angle. Like here at the table, here at First Orlando, like we are the young adult ministry of First Orlando. And just something that we want is for all of us to get to experience these amazing um, relationships, right? And some of us may be experiencing it, some of us may not be, but here's what at our core, we want this for everybody. So our team has written this, and I mean, if you're already part of our leadership team, you may have, or serving, you may have seen this um, already. But I just want to read for us um, just something that, that we wrote around what our vision is. What our vision is for young adult ministry at First Orlando, what our vision is here for you at the table, what our vision is for you as an individual. So let me, let me read. Okay. Here's vision, young adult vision. We believe every young adult can experience belonging and growth. We believe every young adult can experience belonging and growth. We believe every young adult, this is you, you, we believe you and you and you and you and you, like Oprah, everyone can experience this. We believe every young adult can have a clearly identified fam where they know they belong. That squad has nothing to do with a role or position, Rather, a group of people who collectively say they want to journey toward Jesus together and experience the goodness and truth and beauty of the kingdom of God. See, in this group, that group meets regularly to share the wins in life and mourn the losses, to pray together, to eat meals together, to destroy each other on uno together. Come on, somebody. To process life together and if and when trust is built, to be able to process the truest Kairos moments of life to hear from God and do what he says. A Kairos moment is something that we collectively around here just call like a like an aha moment. Like, man, I think God's trying to get my attention to tell me something. Well, we call that a Kairos moment. Um, to hear from God and do what he says, because that's where mutual discipleship happens. That's where growth happens. But it takes time. That level of friendship with specific individuals takes months or even years and is also not assumed or guaranteed. But why not try? Why not try to give every young adult that level of belonging and growth? So how are we going to do this, y'all? Here's how we do this. Consistency. See, consistency is providing consistent interactions for these relationships to blossom. And that's the key for, that unlocks belonging and growth. See, consistency is when 8 to 12 people identify themselves as a group. Consistency is when those 8 to 12 gather as a group regularly. Consistency is when that group knows what to expect during group time. Consistency is when the group stays together for over a year. Consistency is when one of the, mem- one of the group members misses group time, they are missed dearly and checked in on. See, and the biggest enemy of belonging and growth is inconsistency. Inconsistency is when it is unknown who exactly is part of the group. Inconsistency is when there is a rotating door of people showing up for group time. Inconsistency is when there is an infrequency of group time. Inconsistency is when the group leader keeps changing. But y'all, what could happen when the same 8 to 12 people are committed to each other, committed to belonging to each other, and committed to growth with one another? The deepest belonging and deepest growth possible for you. For our good and the good of the city that we love, Orlando. 
See, and for some of us, right, as we're thinking through this belonging, as we're thinking through growth, see, for some of us, we already have a network of people. We already have friends. We already have a fam. We already have a squad who we're kind of tracking with a little bit, right? And we got to kind of experience that, but we're like, man, how can we, like, light that thing up? How can we get your friends together and y'all can just be compassionate to each other, just freely giving to each other? And for some of us, are brand new. We don't know anybody. Some of us, it's our very first time here at the table. And we're like, man, I would love for that to happen. I would love to experience that level of longing. I would love to experience growth in that way. And that's why we're saying, man, if we don't know, if those of us here, don't, we don't feel like we have friends yet, like we're new, we're still trying to figure it out. That's what we're saying. Hey, look, we want to journey with you. We want to partner with you to help you make some new friends. So that's what I want for us. I, that's what I want for you, right? With, with compassion, with our relational compassion, that we can use it to love and to serve others in incredibly meaningful ways, right? And using our resources to love and to serve our friends and our enemies. So we're about to pray and we're about to sing, um, sing a song. The band's going to come out to sing and then we'll, um, we'll kind of land the plane here tonight. But another word for compassion, some of you know this, is grace. So with grace, we recognize that we are broken. And with grace, we also recognize that God just freely gives to us and heals us in our brokenness. Right, so we're about to sing a song. Um, it's kind of an a awesome play on the song, Amazing Grace, called Broken Vessels. And as we sing this song, I just want to think of this compassion that God just freely gives us, this grace that God just freely gives us, so that we don't need to worry about grace for ourselves because we have it. We can just be gracious and compassionate to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. God, we're so grateful that you are a God of compassion and that you freely give to us. God, I'm so just praying for my table fam, for my friends here, God, that we may love and to serve others, to be compassionate both to our friends and also, God, to our enemies. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.